From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Hot Takes edition of the podcast, this time covering the Orange Bowl exhibition, also known as the Backup Bowl, in which Florida State goes down 63-3. to with uh, the result setting a new bowl season record for margin of victory and uh, really a a tough ending to a season, well, really not the ending to the the season, but a tough bowl game after the college football playoff committee ended the season of a very good Florida State team that went undefeated. And uh, then the bowl team was not able to uh, pick up and carry on with what the regular season team was able to do. Pretty straightforward stuff there. And honestly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this hot takes episode. Uh, A few reasons for that. One is that I am, uh, I'm presently on the road traveling and uh, just not in a good position to be able to record well and to, to give you the product that uh, I I really want to put out there for this kind of episode, but uh, at least for a longer version of it. So it's going to be much more cursory. The other reason is, frankly, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this game right now. Uh, there will be some time to revisit some things about this game in the offseason. Uh, and, you know, there's still some film breakdown and some other things to do during that. But ultimately, this was uh, this is just this is one where you just delete the tape and you say, you know, this is this was what uh, what you what you kind of expected. This ultimately, this decision or this outcome was decided about a month ago, and it is what it is. Now that said, this game could have broken pretty differently early. I mean, Patrick Payton got the strip uh, on the sack early in the game and was in position to recover the fumble and just didn't finish the job. And you wonder what happens if he recovers that fumble and, and Florida State's able to get a little bit of life early and, uh, and maybe score from an advantageous field position at that point. And uh, then you get a dropped interception by Fentrell Cypress and later on another dropped interception by uh, Hussey. And in each case, after these missed opportunities for turnovers, Georgia cashed in within a couple plays for, for a touchdown. And, you know, that's 21 points right there. Uh, It's just a very different game. And, you know, again, things could have broken differently. There's no reason that it needed to be a 60-point win. But uh, I talked in the the preview episode about how much of an uphill battle this would be for Florida State. And, again, I want to reiterate what a difference, what a different team FSU was with Jared Verse on the field this year versus not. And this was a game, obviously, where Jared Verse didn't play. And, you know, not just Jared Verse, but an entire roster of guys where it's just a different, it was just a different team. And 
you knew that this was going to be an uphill battle once it became clear that you, you know, coming from the regular season team, three of your four quarterbacks are gone. Running back one, running back two, running back three, all gone. Running back four, also gone. So you're on your number five running back, number one and two wide receiver, number one and number three tight end, number four tight end did play, uh, your number two left tackle, your number two right tackle, who's actually the same guy as your number two left tackle and the way that he was listed on the, on the depth chart. And then, of course, verse where, once I said, the, the difference between this defense with verse on the field and without went from a top five defense to a, you know, right, right around 90 when, when he was off the field. And then you lose not only verse, but Fisk, Lovett, Farmer, Tatum Bethune, DJ Lundy, Jerry and Jones, Akeem Dent, and Renardo Green. This was going to be an uphill battle without question. And once things broke the wrong way early, it was just a, it was a game that that got out of control. Real simple. And, you know, with a young team, with a bunch of, uh, with with a lack of guys really at the talent and experience level to be able to bow up against a team like Georgia, there's just no shot. And ultimately, my my fear in this one was that, uh, <laughs> my fear in this one was that, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking at some uh, social media stuff and some of the comments there. It's been a, a real smooth brain day from social media uh, on this in terms of people using this as, a, as an indictment of Florida State's regular season as though that team is comparable. But anyhow, uh, the thing that I was ultimately most afraid of coming into this game was that Florida State wouldn't be able to stop the run. Uh, Just looking at, and that was the preview, right? I mean, they're going to have to find a way to stop the run. And stopping the run without Jared Verse, Braden Fisk, Fabian Lovett, Joshua Farmer, and Tatum Bethune, and DJ Lundy, well, I mean, that's pretty much your front seven right there. And Georgia took full advantage. I mean, you look at the numbers here, and they're, they're pretty ugly. I mean, Georgia here... Uh, first half averaged 11.3 yards per rush. And, you know, you're not going to win a whole lot of games when you do that. And anybody who thinks <laughs> that Georgia team would have averaged 11.3 yards per rush against the regular season Florida State team, well, you know, maybe you should start watching another sport or whatever else or you're acting in bad faith or trolling or whatever. But this that basically is, is where this game was decided. And it got increasingly less... Uh, less competitive as the game went on. And, you know, in certain respects, you could – one thing that, that will, I think, end up being somewhat valuable for this coaching staff in this game, and there's very little of value in this game, is that they did get some indication of what they have in terms of some of the young guys. They got to see, they got to see those young guys put something on film – and have an idea of, okay, well, is this linebacker going to be closer or further away from being ready than what we'd hoped going into next year? Is this defensive end going to be somebody that can actually be in the rotation next year? Or do we, you know, what, what, where do they need to put some of the additional resources? And uh, I think it was evident that they're going to need at least one more edge in addition to Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, they're going to need to add some additional uh, quality at the, at the defensive tackle spot. 
they've simply not recruited well enough on the defensive line. And they need to add at least two, if not three, quality bodies. And I'm talking about high-quality bodies on the, on the defensive line. One defensive tackle at a minimum and another edge at a minimum, if not three, def- three bodies on the defensive line. They're going to need to continue to do that. Now, yes, I know Joshua Farmer s- slated to return after he had his uh, postseason hand surgery, uh, I think it was the thumb, that uh, he'll be recovering from. And, you know, that shows exactly where this game was in Florida State's value chart in their hierarchy, that they had guys like Toa Feely and Farmer go and who are, you know, valuable contributors, who are starters in your in your depth chart, go ahead and, and get their postseason surgeries before the bowl game. Why? Because it puts them in better shape to be able to do what they need to do in spring, to get a better offseason, to be in position to actually contribute towards winning games when it matters next year. That's how they treated it. Now, some people may criticize them for doing it that way, but ultimately, they've got to find out what they've got, first of all. And second of all, they... It's not. It's of no worth for them. It's of no value for those guys to continue to fight through nagging stuff for another month when that may push into the season, when that's going to impact whether or not that guy's going to be able to get stronger and better during the offseason. They made the right call there. And I know that there are people out there who think that this is a, a cultural issue, who think that this is a, that this is a reflection of a bad culture for uh, Mike Norvell and this, and this coaching staff and all of that. I could not disagree a whole lot more. And, you know, I got a bunch of questions about this. I mean, uh, Mace sent me a, a note saying, you know, tough to watch. Look at the other side. Did we really have to have so many players pout and, and opt out or transfer out? Couldn't they want to play for a little pride in the program? Yeah, they are hurt. But if they beat UGA, we could argue that we're the true undefeated champs. What did my, Kirby Smart tell his team that Mike didn't? Maybe Mike doesn't have quite the culture he thinks. Maybe the tra- transfers are just mercenaries. One year on, uh, then move on and don't give uh, a blank down inside. We will look like a bunch of crit- quitters now to many in the media and the fans that don't follow FSU. Your take. And then added to that, would you opt out if you were a three-year, you know, would, would a three or, three or four-year player at, at Florida State opt out under Bobby? Well, first of all, under Coach Bowden, that was a different era. Very different era. So opt-outs were not a thing. Really, opt-outs started to happen after a couple of really catastrophic injuries in bowl games where teams were not competing for championships and you had end of season, a guy in position. You know, One I remember most is the, 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 the uh, Notre Dame linebacker uh, who wound up playing for the – he wound up – he was a top 10 draft pick most likely. Wound up sliding well into the second round, being picked up by the uh, – by the Cowboys, played played for the Cowboys for a while. I can't remember his name at the moment. Um, it, it, it may come to me, but he was the one that, you know, this, that was once his injury happened, and it was a really catastrophic bowl game injury, uh, that was sort of the first wave of opt-outs that started happening after that. Uh, and, yeah, that that changed the game. And, you know, you look at Jake Butt, you look at a number of other players who wound up getting hurt in bowl games, in non-championship oriented bowl games. And that just started to be the thing. And so that's not a coach Bowden thing. That's an era thing. 
And if Coach Bowden were coaching at, at Florida State right now, and what had what just happened, where you had a 13 and 0 Florida State team get left out of the playoff, yeah, those same guys would have opted out. Bunch of the guys who were, uh, you know, all America type, you know, NFL type, who didn't have anything left to play for, who had their season ended, and all their goals, all their remaining goals, gone. Well, that's it. And, you know, you got to remember, going back to Coach Bowden's days, we had goals. First, state championship. Then, you know, win your conference, undefeated season, national championship. Well, you do all of those, and then you don't get the chance to play for a national championship. You've achieved all your goals for the season. And yeah, I mean, I mean, if I'm Keon Coleman or Jared Verse or Fabian Lovett or Tatum Bethune or Renardo Green or, you know, any number of these guys who opted out, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I like to think I'm a competitor and wouldn't, wouldn't opt out. But, you know, if I'm Keon Coleman and I've been p- battling through a bone bruise through the second half of the season and it's everything I can do to just play, is it really worth it? Right at that moment when I know that, that my draft position is going to depend very much on how well I run at the NFL Combine, and I need to get myself as healthy as possible to run well there because that's the one question teams have about me. Or if I'm Tatum Bethune and I've been banged up basically three quarters of the season, am I really going to want to play through that game? I mean, look, Braden Fisk. That guy's been in a boot half, you know, a good portion of the year. He he gutted through a good portion of the year. He got as healthy as he's been going into the ACC championship game. But is it really worth it to him? That guy's, we're talking about feeding your family here. I mean, Jared Verse got hurt last year and, you know, in a, in a fluke kind of freak injury and that impacted him the rest of the year. Fabian Lovett, you think about last year and how he fought through injury, and then this year they load-managed him so much because of that injury, because of the foot, and he finally was getting back to full health. But do you really want to risk it when you've already had that injury history? You know, that's, that's really the issue here. I mean, a lot, and a lot of these guys were really banged up, more than people realize. I mean, Johnny Wilson, banged up. Trey Benson was really banged up by the end of the year. What's the benefit for those guys of gutting through it and, you know, potentially fighting through to, to, to play and, and compete and maybe win, win a bowl game when everybody's just going to go, well, yeah, Georgia, you know, had, their, had some opt-outs too. That's not quite the same Georgia team. They weren't motivated like they were against Alabama. That's what you're going to get. So what's the point? You know, why do that? That's what that's about. And I have no problem with any one of those guys saying, you know what? <sighs> Sorry, man. I, I just, I can't, I, I don't think it's worth it for me. You know what? You, dude, you achieved every goal we, we had available to us this season. And I'm proud of you guys. That would be my response. Wish we could do it one more time. Wish we could do it two more times. But we can't. That's that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a, a culture issue. I mean, I got other messages here where it was, you know, this is a portal. Di- this is the difference between a portal thing and, you know, guys that came in through recruiting. You know, guys that came in through recruiting are more bought in. I disagree. I don't think this is an issue about this. Is th- I don't think this is about that. 
I mean, you look at guys, portal guys, like Tatum Bethune and, and Braden Fisk, continuing to practice all the way up through the you know final walkthrough to help their team, but not playing in the game because ultimately, yeah, you know what? It's, it's not worth it. Now, much respect to a guy like, you know, Kalen Deloach, who made a different decision. There's nothing wrong with that decision, but that's his call. Nothing wrong with that. But if I'm making that decision, there's a lot of reasons not to, not to play. A lot of reasons. And, you know, if you're banged up, if you're really struggling and you've had to, you know, load manage all season just to make, make it through games, to get through the season, yeah, you know what? Final load management is to sit out that last game. Now, in terms of recruiting versus portal, I do think that you saw the difference in this game between a team that has recruited at a top three level for you know a full five-year cycle and a team that has not. A team that had that managed to use the portal really, really well to load up on top-level talent that allowed them to punch above their overall roster roster talent uh, level. That's what Florida State did. What they did, and this is this is so smart. This is you know it's an overused term, but it's Moneyball. You think about what Mike Norvell and, and them did. They went out and they identified impact players who were game changers at specific positions who could help them and and basically said, look, a, a key on Coleman changes your offense completely. A Johnny Wilson, you get him developed, changes your offense completely. Think about what Jordan Travis looked like before Johnny Wilson got on campus. Think about what then Keon Coleman did to add to that. You add those guys, that top-level talent, and you add a, a Trey Benson, another top-level talent, and then you add a Jared Verse and a Braden Fisk. Now you've got top-level talent. Georgia, look, they got a great roster. We saw that tonight. But they did not have a single Jared Verse on that roster. And I think Braden Fisk might have been the best defensive tackle on the two teams this year. But Georgia's number four edge is a lot better than Florida State's number four. (laughs) We saw that tonight. Georgia's number four running back is a lot better than Florida State's number four running back, or in this case, number five running back. Georgia's, you know, number three, Georgia's third string right tackle is better than Florida State's third string right tackle. That's That's the result of stacking classes year after year and keeping those guys in your program. Florida State, this year really was the first year they've been able to do that completely. Now, they did get some top-quality offensive linemen in, a, in, in the previous cycle. So they're, they're building on that side. But they've whiffed a little bit too much on that, on that defensive line. And they've got to find ways of getting some of those guys back on the roster. You've got to backfill that. But that is something that we did see. We saw the difference between a really deep team that has, that has you know, blue-chip guys running out at every level on that, on that roster and a team that had as much top-level talent as any team in the country but did not have as much depth 
not as much quality depth as a team like Georgia or Ohio State or Alabama. That's just the reality. And we all knew that. The question all year was, can you use the B-plus players or the B-players enough to load manage so that your A-plus players and your A-players are able to get, change the game enough against your Alabamas, your Georgias, your Ohio States, your Michigans, and so on. And through the course of the season, FSU was able to do that. The answer was yes. And I think they may well have won the, the college football playoff. You look at how Brock Glenn played tonight, and I'll get to that in a moment. They may well have won the college football playoff with, with, the, with the full roster and, and Brock Glenn playing quarterback. Could have done it because of those difference makers. But the difference... Once you get those, you know, eight or nine difference makers off the roster is the rest of the roster has still not been fully upgraded. They just haven't done it. This next class was a big step in that direction, but they still need to add some more defensive line talent. And that needs to be defensive line, linebacker, offensive line, line of scrimmage in general, along with linebacker need to be continued points of emphasis in terms of talent acquisition moving forward. And they, they desperately need to add a quality backer to that room at minimum, for next year. They've got a long way to go. They need to add, you know, if they can add two quality backers and they have the space for it, you've you got to re- really seriously consider it. Now, to me, I think the biggest positive of this of this game, and it's crazy to say after a game where you only scored three points, but to me, the biggest positive of this game is that Brock Glenn showed that he's he's got some some tools to build with. He showed He showed a lot in this game. Now, still some first-year, you know, freshman, true freshman uh, stuff in terms of not being quite as, as quick on some stuff and processing a little bit more slowly than you'd like, but you compare how he processed in this game to how he processed in the Louisville game, and that was an enormous step forward. And honestly, you feel pretty good about that guy going into next year. Uh, you still want to make sure you bring a stopgap, a one-year stopgap, so that he's one year more seasoned going into the year following. But that's a guy you can win with at that position. Feel really good about that. Now, I think you also consider that adding another game-breaker to the wide receiving core is something that you have to seriously consider. A guy like an Evan Stewart may well be, that juice may well be worth the squeeze for this offense next year. And I think you need to consider What's going on at the running back position? I think uh, given where you are, I mean, 26 is a nice piece, but I don't think he ha- he has feature back. He did not look like a feature back tonight to me. Maybe I'm wrong. And, you know, that Georgia defense is really good. But I think you, you have to consider bringing in a, a, another back in the, in the portal as well. And, of course, you do have Toafili still. But I think you have to consider bringing in, if you can get a game-changing back in the portal to add to your, to your mix, I think you'd consider it. Because I Holmes look fine, but, you know, that's not Trey Benson. So, so yeah, there's, there are some positives there. And you've got some things you can continue to, to work through. Offensive line probably looked the best they've looked all season. Once they, I mean, that was closer to the lineup that they wanted this year. And... You know, with Robert Scott out there, and he did, you know, kind of have a scary moment with his shoulder, but came back after that, so that's a good sign. But with that lineup, that was the best the offensive line. I mean, given the defense that they were going against, that was probably the best the offensive line had looked all season. 
So that's a positive. And you, you get basically all of those guys back. Emmanuel not, uh, is the one guy that doesn't expect to return. You know, he, his eligibility is exhausted. And you've got some young guys that, that are coming up the back that you feel pretty good about. And Jalen Early, when he came in for Robert Scott, handled himself well. So feel good about that. We'll go through more specific stuff on that in the, in the near future. But, uh, but yeah, I don't want to spend too much more time on the actual gameplay. I'm going to go to a couple more questions that came in uh, during the game. And uh, this is another one. Uh, I can't believe the stars like Verse and other guys don't feel a bit like turds today, he says. Uh, knowing they could have helped immensely, UGA had hurt players too, who per the announcers wanted the seniors to win 50 games. Don't get me wrong, I'm upset and understand somewhat. Uh, I'm not sure that it's fair to say the FSU players had nothing to play, play, uh, play for. Show the NFL you don't quit, finish the season undefeated, or at least they belonged in the same field. Save your coaches and fellow teammates from total embarrassment. Do it for the boosters, fans who spend money all season and such to watch a competitive team in all games. Yeah, well, look, as far as verse and the opt-outs and all that, again, they, they're going to feel bad for their teammates. It's going to be hard for them to, to deal with that at all. But I don't think it's a situation where they or, or you know, the people involved feel like they could have helped immensely, as you said. Helped what? Yeah, they would have looked more competitive, maybe won this game with all those guys playing. Sure, okay. But it didn't matter. So they're not helping with something that actually, in the grand scheme of things, from their perspective as the team that was competing for a championship, from that perspective, it just it's not the same. I get it. Is it how I want college sports to be? Is it how I want any sports to be? No. Is it my nature as a competitor? No. For me, if I'm playing cards, I want to win. But if I have, again, going through all the injuries that I mentioned before, if I've got that injury record and I'm playing banged up already, I'm, I'm, I'm just not doing it. Because it's just it's a bad decision for my family. And that matters more. So this one is from, from Twitter. This is from Caleb Thomas. He says, and this is in response to my comment that, you know, I, I don't have a serious problem with these guys opting out and all of that. And he says, so throw in the towel. This is actually a response. So what I had said there was, uh, so he'd said, they could have proven they belong in the top four. They came into this with, the, or come into this with some passion and proved to everybody they got it wrong. And, and uh, they also played in a big time game against the reigning champions. They decided to quit. Seems like throwing a pity party that they didn't get in. My response to that was they'd already proven they belonged in the top uh, top four. They couldn't do that again, and it didn't matter the first time. So the response was, so throw in the towel? I think they approached this game badly. No, it's not throwing in the towel. Throwing in the towel presumes you're in, you're in the same fight. This wasn't even the same fight. They're not even in the same fight. Their opponent from the, the prior fight in which the towel, you're, the towel you're talking about would have been thrown in, their opponent was lying on the canvas and the judges ruled it a loss instead of a knockout win. This, this was a sparring match after that controversial loss based on the, on the judges who didn't apparently care that you, you actually knocked your opponent out. They decided not to spar. They decided not to, to, to do that, that sparring this round 
and instead they're going to train for the next fight. Do I like it? No. I, I, I think what college football and what sports in this, in this way have become is, is sad. But, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm done with that narrative. And, you know, anybody who says like, oh, no, this is all about individualism and, you know, a culture of materialism or whatever else, you know, that, because, you know, you're treating this as investments or whatever, that that, you know, that's different from a team culture and all that. That's very nice. But at the end of the day, football is a, is a job for these guys. It's not just, it, like, like I said, I like to win when I play cards. I like to win when I play a board game. I don't care what I'm playing. I'm playing to win. But at the at the same time, if it comes down to feeding my family or winning, you know, ha- having a little bit of pride in, in, in whatever game I'm playing, my family has to come first. And yeah, if that's individualistic, if that's materialistic or whatever, that's fine. But for these guys, this is not just a game. This is a job. And anybody who under who does not understand that college football at the FBS level, at the Power Five level, at the Florida State level, is a job? Someone who didn't play Division I college sports. It's a job, guys. And if that happens to you at your job, yeah, you take pride in your job. That's really important to take pride in your job. But why do you do your job? It's not just because you love it. It's not just because you have loyalty towards your employer. You do your job because you're trying to feed your family. You're trying to put yourself in position for what matters most in your life. And yes, you know, we should take pride in what we do. It's really important that we don't just show up to collect a paycheck and go home. You do the job and you do it with great pride. But at the end of the day, if it comes down to me doing my job with great pride or getting, you know, putting myself in position so that the next job I have, make sure that my kids are set up. That's not a hard choice. My pride comes after my kids. It just does. And I think if we're all honest, that that's how it should be. So, you know, don't hate the players, hate the game, hate the way that the system is set up at this point. It's a bro- it, a lot of things are broken right now. And what we saw that the result tonight was a great illustration of that, of a broken game and a broken sport. And anybody, by the way, who has seen anything about or has watched any of this year's bowl season and doesn't think that the college football playoff hasn't basically begun to destroy what has always been best about college football is, I mean, they're, they're just kidding themselves. Now they're blind, but the college football playoff is cannibalizing college football and it's not making it better. It hasn't made it better so far. And I think expanding it to 12, is going to make it worse. We're going to see it the next couple of years and we're going to see major structural change after that. And all the things that you know, most of us really, really liked about the way the sport was before, a lot of that stuff's going to go away. And it'll be replaced by something else that has its own virtues and, and certain vices and all of that. But it's not going to be what it was. It just never will be. So I'm going to wrap there. I'm going to, I'm going to come back with a lot of other stuff. This went longer than I thought it would. But uh, again, sorry for the audio quality. 
this is uh this is on on the remote and doing the best I can here. This has been the Unconquered podcast with Jason Staples and with Doc Staples. Jeez. Hot takes episodes, a little less editing. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm Jason Staples, also known as Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this.